welcome to Game of Life with Dan and Harmon. We're joined by one of my favourite actors, John Delancey. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Now, there might be sort of a fine line <laughs> that we have to walk with you considering the current state of affairs with the actors' strike. Is that is that correct? Well, there is. Um, we're not quite sure what all of that means. I mean, for things like a podcast yeah. or, or a convention or something like that. Obviously, we know what it means in terms of being able to roll film. But uh, there are um, ancillary issues that are involved uh, that are being sort of sorted out right now. But I think that we're we're on pretty firm ground. It isn't as if I'm trying to get people to watch a particular show or anything like that. So I'm not doing a promotion. Yeah, exactly. So can you tell us a little bit about the actors strike and the WGA strike? Well, it's a long time coming. Um, and without getting into the weeds too much, it, it parallels a lot of other industries. The economies of the world have changed and um, we have been working under a, um, uh, a template that really doesn't exist anymore. Um, streaming changed much of everything. Um, and uh, the pandemic changed a lot of things. Um, the fact that actors are being paid not much more or not even as much as they were pay being paid 20, 25 years ago. Um, I know that the impulse, and certainly in the media, is to talk about Tom Cruise and, you know, all of the uh, A-list actors, but they, they make up, I, I don't know exactly what the amount, the, the number is, but let's say less than 1%. I mean, um, I think I'm accurate in saying that at any one time, 95% of our union members are out of work. Um, and um, um, this is really for the journeyman actor, of which I am one, yeah. uh, who, um, you know, uh, where, where it's been a profession since the beginning of time, uh, <laughs> at least recorded time. And, um, um, and we just don't want it to turn into a hobby. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you can't, you can't, you can't live with the salaries that are being um, bandied about now. And then into that comes a very horrifying sort of uh, future, which has to do with AI. Um, I just saw a commercial um, that was shot in Brazil for a, uh, a Volkswagen commercial where a woman who a very a, I, I didn't know who she was i mean a, a big star in uh, in 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 brazil who died uh unexpectedly i think in her 40s or something like that um or, or died 40 years ago and she was young yeah. and um there she was yeah yeah there she was you know um and uh, the irony is, is that she was stuck in a commercial where at the time she probably wouldn't have done it uh, with an agency that maybe she wouldn't have been happy to be associated with. On and on and on. I know uh, just this morning I heard 
uh, how, and I, again, a little vague about it, but it's the general tilt of it, is how um, extras, uh, background, atmosphere, are being asked to come in for half the rate for one day, during which time they can be filmed and what have you, and their images can be used on AI into perpetuity. Well, boy, that if that isn't called <laughs> deep sixing yourself, uh, you know, I, I don't know what is. So, so they these and these things have parallels in other industries, yeah. uh, and um, and uh, so I hear of, oftentimes, you know, people going, "Oh my God, will you guys make so much money?" And you say, "No, no, no." It, it, first of all, we don't. And then on the other thing is, that we we are in a very risky business, and we've chosen that very risky business. Um, but it's now gotten to the point where it's just almost it's very difficult to uh, to sustain oneself. So how do we solve this, John? I, I don't know. Where, where, where do you see us ending up in all this? Say, well, I mean, you know, yeah. there, there, there are easy things to say, well, you know, we need more money here and need more protection here and stuff like that. But in the AI world, we're moving into whole areas that are, are completely new to us. Yeah. Um, and there are some areas which I think are going to be fantastic when it comes to medicine. Oh, my God. You know, uh, instead of one lab doing their experiment and stuff like that, we now have the capability of coming up with all sorts of labs, um, doing hundreds, thousands of tests that couldn't be run. But the flip side of that, um, like any like any new technology, is by and large the people who create the technology are uh, are benevolent. <laughs> they uh, they see their technology being used for good, but there are a lot of bad actors out there, and I, I you know, pun intended, uh, there are a lot of bad actors out there who will not use the technology for good. So um, I, I, it's uh, the one thing that all of us just this last weekend, um, a, a number of us were together in Montreal doing a convention, and we just said, "Wow, boy." I am glad I'm not 40 years old yeah. as an actor trying to raise a family with young kids and schools and a house that I'm trying to pay for and all those other things. You know, when I was a young man, I could, I came out to Los Angeles and I was able to do, I, I was very fortunate, uh, but I was able to do a good, I don't know, 15 shows a year. Yeah. That's unheard of. That's just unheard of. Yeah. And there's a lot, lot less when you were starting out as an actor as well with fewer shows, only a few blockbuster movies here and there, but now there's just streaming involved, which is a whole other other thing. Yes, and the writers, uh, you know, for television shows, the writers used to be hired for, I uh, think, would say for the most part 26 episodes now they're hired for 10. yeah um and um and, you know and it just goes on and on and on and on and on on yeah. and on and 
You know, the other thing is, too, is that I was talking again to somebody today. I mean, this is very much uh, in our conversation, those of us who are going through this, where um, I pointed out to him, I, I said, listen, uh, Steve, um, you talk as if, you know, one of these studios is owned by Mr. and Mrs. Paramount or Mr. and Mrs. Fox. Yeah. You know, Louis B. Mayer and stuff like that. That it isn't. These are conglomerates. And he, he said, I, I, "I'm not quite understanding what you're saying." I said, "Well, just imagine that you owned twelve apartment complexes, and one of them was going south. Yeah. Well, it's just one. Yeah. It's just one. Yeah. yeah. It's in the in the in the spreadsheet. You just kind of go, oh, this one's yeah, but everything else is moving in the direction we need it to move to. So, um, it's um, it's it's complicated. Yeah. What what is the um, I guess general sort of vibe amongst your community of actors at the moment? The vibe is is that this is going to last for a long time. Yeah. Which is what I've read as well, that um, they're more than willing to keep striking until January 2024, which is crazy. <laughs> well, understand, they are willing to keep striking. Who's the they? Well, yeah. And are we talking about? Um, you know, uh, something that has roiled a lot of people, but it's 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 the way you play hardball uh somebody on the other side simply said hey wait until october yeah. november you know when they when actors can't pay their uh their rents anymore and they're going to lose their homes and stuff like that they'll come around so hey, let's just weigh them down yeah see how long they can last yeah that's right it's horrible somebody working right now with exact same intention on a global scale right now yeah. Putin mm. yeah you go I'll just I'll just I'll just wait them out yeah see how long can last yeah yeah, yeah. um even if even if the you know uh, what the actors are requiring of and what they're striking for is met the need those needs are met but the technology is still here and it's gonna it's gonna stay oh it, it yes it, but it has to be kind of sorted out i mean it's a little bit like opening you know it's it it's a little bit like a warehouse for which you open the door everything in the warehouse is dark you can only look from the door into the warehouse and then have to negotiate. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. It's pretty difficult, especially since you're not the one who is coming up with the, the technology that, um, it, you know, it doesn't come from your side. It comes from inside the warehouses yeah. or... So um, if it were done in if it were done in good faith, that would be one thing. But it, it, it's it's it, it's 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 very scary. So one can negotiate via the rearview mirror, but it's pretty hard to see out into the future as to where this is going. It is, and when the genie's out of the bottle, I don't think it's ever going in. No, 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 it isn't. 
It isn't. No, no. Yeah. Mm -mm. yeah. It's very much, well, okay, this technology is here to stay, but how can we rein it in? And it it's very much out of your control. So if you it, don't negotiate it, now, it's it's never because it's just going to progress, progress, progress to something, you know. Well, I mean, it, it will, it can be sorted out. I mean, it can be understood. I mean, to give you an example, um, a couple of years ago, I was asked to be involved in a in a, a project that had a lot of interesting components to it. But one of the components was is that you could sound like me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this came around just at the same time that there was a trial going on about a young lady who convinced her boyfriend to commit suicide. So if that boyfriend happens to, to have been a, you know, a Trek fan or something like that, what if she could sounding like me say, Hey, I'm, you know, and I think you should commit suicide. Yeah. I, I went, Oh my God, what do we do about something like that? How can that, you know, yes, the, the Pandora's box has been opened, the genie's out of the bottle and what have you, but what do you do when you've got somebody who is, who is going to ill use that? Well, that became sort of very much of a sticking point because the people I was working with didn't want that to happen any more than I did. Yeah. But how do we deal with that? When, when is the See, last? Yeah, where's oh, no, go. Yeah. Go. <laughs> when is the last time you got bored in life? Because we're oh just God. so bombarded with all this information now. When is the last time you were truly just bored with your with your own thoughts? Well, I, you know what I. I um. I guess frequently enough, I, I would say sometimes to myself, "Oh, just stop it! You're yeah. you're 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 boring. <laughs> you are boring. John. Just get over yourself. You yeah. you are boring. Yeah. But I mean, I, you know, uh, my feeling is is that I I try as 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 much as I can to be kind of. I, and I decided this very early in life uh, that. I enjoyed being in a quote state of creating. Yeah. And um and that that meant a great deal to me. So whatever I could do and it didn't have to be just being on stage, it could be or or necessarily uh in my profession although for the most part it kind of moves in that area but but um it it could be applied to anything as long as I felt that I was creating. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I was listening to a um, psychologist talk about um, school kids and how they don't they they don't get bored now, so they can't use their imagination as often as we could when we we were young. So because they have these screens, they're constantly in a state of well, there's something to do. And when you lose that sort of imaginative spirit, you sort of 
I know, lose a sense of um, self. That, that, well, that's his point. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it's important sometimes to be sitting still and to um, and to be, quote, bored. Yeah. I also don't want to be somebody who uh, bludgeons the present with the past. So, um, you know, I, 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 I agree that there is kind of a reflexive kind of, you know, uh, there's a moment of of disquiet and all of a sudden people are going, oh, you know, yeah. like that. And, yeah. you know, so I, I, re I realize that all that is going on, but I, I think in the end, um, um, we as a species can move our, our way through all of that. Have you always been a curious person? Yes. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. Why have you been curious? Well, I don't know why, but I can tell you um, where I saw it in its in its best form. I was somebody who didn't learn how to read, couldn't learn how to read easily, and then uh, about at the age of eleven or twelve was when I read my first book after flunking school. <laughs> and um, it was Jules Verne's Mysterious Island. And uh, I, do you know the story at all? No, no. no it's a wonderful story. Uh, you know, Jules Verne wrote it back at, I'm not actually sure, I was like 1880 or something like that. But in any case, I mean, he's the one of the major sci-fi beginning of science fiction writers. And um, so it, it's a bunch of guys in a prisoner of war camp and during the Civil War, uh, they're all on the Union side and they escape this prisoner of war camp uh, into a, they escape during a storm. They, um, they jump into an observation balloon and they are whisked out to sea and they discover the mysterious island. They knew so much. They just, they got on the island and they immediately said, well, there's water here and this rack is moving it quickly enough so that we will be able to create a paddle and that will be able to create generation. Though that, the, uh, the, what do you call it? The, the bank of dirt over there, because it's red, has uh, iron ore in it, which means we can smelt iron. I mean, they just knew so much. <laughs> I kept on going, how do they know so much? And I, and I was so fascinated by that and so wanted to be like them. Yeah. That, uh, you know, that, and I wake up every day practically every day and the first thing that now that it's digital i can do it actually more easily and the first thing i look at is the science section yeah i mean just the discoveries that people are finding you know every day yeah. every day just before just before um getting on with you i i was looking at a you know reading about a new species you know, the first burial was, I think it was about 110,000 years ago, but here was a species, not human yet, but they were doing burials at, at a quarter of a million years ago. I mean, I, it's, it's all fascinating. It's yeah. all fascinating. fascinating. Yeah. yeah, I guess, what, why wouldn't you be a curious person when there's all this information out in the world? Yes, and uh, you know, to to because I do a fair amount of stuff with 
with science versus religion and stuff yeah. like that. Um, the 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 things that um, that science I'll, I'll put science as but but the real life discoveries are so much more fascinating yeah. to me yeah. than the than the stories of you know uh, of of creation and stuff like that that they're just not nearly as interesting why yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> it, I, I heard that you um, got kicked out of Sunday school at a very young age. <laughs> yes, uh, for a very simple reason, which, uh, you know, a lot of people who are not religious will, will understand, and some who are religious will understand. Jonah lived in a whale? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, how does that work? You know, yeah. Pinocchio or Geppetto lived in a whale, but <laughs> I don't know about a real person, you know? And uh, so I guess I was, I did not take things at, I, I, I questioned a lot of what was presented to me on those subjects. Were you shunned initially that you were questioning that? Oh, you know what? It's way too long ago. I I, I don't remember. Um, I, I I don't remember. I, I I don't I don't think so. I don't have recollections of being shunned as much as I had recollections uh, of just not doing well in school. Mm -hmm. You know of what that feels like. Um, of just not getting it where other people were getting it and me not being able to get it i i knew what that felt like i was not shunned by my friends who who were getting it um um uh, and certainly on this on the religious issues uh, you know most kids most kids couldn't care less frankly at, at the age that i'm talking about yeah yeah while you were at school if you were struggling to read, did you find something that you were actually good at back then? Well, um, uh, yes, um, but it, it took flunking a school and flunking a grade, um, uh, which they don't, which is not done, at least in America is not done anymore yeah. because it's really um, uh, psychologically debilitating. Um, but I went to a little tiny school um, where my graduating class was only 19, I think, Nine, you know, eight, 19 or 20, something like that. And we had, um, so it was a tiny school. And um, we had a very dynamic assistant principal who taught history and, you know, <laughs> coached the football and the soccer and and uh, would come in and he would say in the fall, he would say, uh, you know, OK, uh, you know, we're going to be doing Mozart's Marriage of Figaro. Mm. We're like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
we're all at 14, you know, it's like, okay. And then, you know, at, at Christmas time, he'd say, we're, we're going to do Handel's Messiah, all of it. You know, so, you know, the, uh, 20 kids are doing this well. And then there's the other, the lower grades as well. But I mean, you know, it's just, and um, in, uh, in the springtime, he came in and I was, by this, I remember distinctly, um, I was in the back of the room talking, carrying on. And uh, he threw a script at me, threw a book at me. And he said, Delancey, um, we're going to be doing uh, Henry V and you're to play Hal and go home and learn it. Well, I could hardly read it, but I learned it. Uh, and I performed it. And um, a man who was the editor of the Pelican Shakespeare, uh, which is sort of the school edition for Shakespeare in the, in the US, at least when I was going to school, came had come to see his granddaughter. And he took my father aside and he said, if your son has an interest, you should encourage him because he has a flair for this. And that's and I grabbed onto that like it was a life preserver. Um, yeah. It was um, it was the first time that anyone had said anything nice to me about school. Yeah. yeah. With, with um, you have talked about in the past um, dealing with dyslexia. Is I mean, can you educate us a little bit on what dyslexia is, and is it something that gets better? over time or do you just learn to live with it well you know this is going to sound strange i don't really know very much about it um yeah. i do know this is that i went to this new school and the teacher the headmistress said to my parents i think your son has dyslexia specific dyslexia I remember her saying and i just thought wow well that's better than being stupid mm. which is I was called stupid yeah. or lazy or mildly retarded. Mm, yeah. Nobody did anything about it. And I never did anything about it. And um, all I knew is that I had to create kind of workarounds. Wow. And many years later, I, I, I would say maybe 15 years ago, I happened to be watching a show I was going through, you know, different shows, documentaries to watch. And there was one on dyslexia. I went, oh, well, I'll watch this. And they showed, they, you know, when they, when they put you into a imaging thing, they could, you know, they, you know, a magnetic imaging imager. They said, this is the brain of somebody who, um, who reads very, very well. And, you know, you know, a little, a little, thing this size, you know, over here, over here in the background, just lit up, yeah. all very concentrated, just lit up really well. And this is a, 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 this is a brain of somebody who has dyslexia. And you are seeing the brain firing all over the place. And I began to cry. I was there by myself and I just, tears began to roll down because the best way that I could explain it was that it would be like having a little bit of a storm in your head. Yeah. Yep. And so that learning lines was always difficult. Um, 
And the process was always difficult. My wife is a fantastic line learner. And she will have the lines down in, I, I don't know, you know, for a play, a big play. She'll have the lines down in a week. I will have to have started weeks beforehand. Mm -hmm. But she pointed out something to me. She said, you know, I have all the lines down, but I'm, I'm just... I'm just a single point with having all the lines there. And then I have to bring all of it forward. She said, you bring all of it forward at the same time. So by the time you have your lines, you're completely ready to go. Yep. Yeah. You've done all your work. So it feels like huge, heavy lifting. And I used to, and I think if, if, if there were anything that, kept me from doing better in my profession. It was that because I used to look at scripts and I used to go, oh, thank God, I don't have to say anything there. And oh, yeah. uh, you know, I, you know, I would say to writers or say, you know, I really actually, I don't have to say that. I don't have to say that line because it was like, so it was just difficult to, to, to learn. And now I've gotten better only to the extent that I know that I have to start a lot earlier. And I couldn't I couldn't relate more to uh what you just said. I was I was dyslexic back at school and uh, my notebooks had those uh, red pen circles of spelling mistakes and um and all that. So it was it was hard for me to read initially and I was jumbling up words. To me math was much more difficult than reading. I still my brain, it, it's hard for me to process numbers. I just can't process numbers. I have to read one number two or three times just to write it down back. So it's just, I can relate to what you're saying there. But I found out very quickly that I was very good at art, painting, mm. or maybe fine arts, all the creative stuff. And that one thing that you told about someone believing in you or someone saying one thing nice I remember this uh, this teacher um, who came from other school gave a lecture to our school and she said, if anyone has questions, and I asked her, and she was asking, who would you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a photographer. And everyone in the school assembly laughed. I don't know why, but they did. And she said, you're going to be a photographer because I can see that fire in your eyes. And I remember that distinctly because that's the first time someone ever said something nice to me back at school. Yeah, well, you know, having a teacher at that age or somebody who's on your side at that age is really important because you just reminded me of the fact that at the exact same, a, a parallel story, I was sitting, our teacher would have to, would sit at the table where we all ate. This is a private school. Yeah. And he went down the line saying, what do you want to do? What do you want? And I said, I want to be an archaeologist. Mm. And he said, you'll never be an archaeologist because you don't know how to spell. Yeah. Oh, man, that breaks my heart. <clears throat> yeah. Now, the irony is, is that... <laughs> You know, what is that thing about um, 
I, I don't know what the thing is exactly, the phrase exactly, but A students work for oh, B yeah, students. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so A student works for B students and B students end up working for the backbench or some, something like, like I like that. Yeah, yeah. For, for, yeah. for for the for the D and F students who created the company, you know, <laughs> so, you know, so, I, you know, I didn't know well enough at that age to say, hey, listen, I could hire you to spell check for me. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> great comeback, though. Great comeback. <laughs> it would have been a great comeback, but I was, you know, <laughs> I was ten years old. Um, but but it does. It has a, a terrible. Um, uh, dilatory effect on 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 a kid um and the fact that that teacher said i can see it in your eyes that you will make it yeah uh, oh thank you thank yeah. you thank you. yeah being being that curious of a person since you were so young you you questioned religion were you questioning this sort of system that was around you like did you ever question that that they are wrong and I'm right, or these people are wrong. Did you ever had that feeling of separation? Well, I've had the feeling of separation in that I'm rather singular in my way of looking at it anyway. Mm. So I've, you know, um, I've never been much of a group person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, I don't think I, uh, I just watched, I just watched a film which was so um, alarming. Uh, eighth grade. Have you seen it? No, no, I haven't. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It's fairly recent, right? Yeah. Well, it's 2018. Yeah. I, I just saw it. Um, and I was with a friend of mine who's my age, and then his nephew, who has a daughter who is... 16. And uh, I said, is this what your daughter is going through? He said, oh, yes. Mm. Oh, I said, oh, my God. He said the the social media issues are so uh, pervasive and so um, um, alarming and so destructive and so I was, I was like oh my god I, I, so I, I didn't go through that stuff I just I just didn't go through that stuff I mean I, I went to a school essentially <laughs> of other misfits um and we were all struggling you know and we had a football team uh, American football team that has 11 kids on the team there are 11 players well, we had 12 players because that's as big as our school was. We could only have 12. So we already felt, you know, we felt sort of special and, and downtrodden and we we're going to make it. And, you know, we, 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 we so um, I, I, I didn't, I don't think I felt that um, some of the horrors that I saw, at least in, um, in eight, eighth grade that the film where I went, Oh, wow. Wow. Oh my God, this poor girl, what she's going through and what are the, what the other girls are and what are the other guys are going through If boy, if you are not in the club, it's, it's a tough road. Yeah. 
it's um i i found in school i just fully immersed myself in writing because i had trouble speaking as a kid i had to go to speech therapy as a kid so i fully immersed myself in writing and reading but yeah. it was it was very, very much it felt very isolating i felt yes. like I was in a different boat to everyone else right yeah see all, all yeah always felt like the ostracized kid because you were the kid going out while all the other kids were having fun because yeah. you had right. to go to you had to go to speech therapy while the other kids got to play footy right yeah right um yeah I think one of the biggest problems for for all people is uh, and because uh, 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 to turn that a little bit that that might have been a good thing. Yeah, um, is that so many people that I meet along the way don't know what they are interested in or what they want to do. They don't have a focus they don't have an internal agenda they don't have something mm. inside them um you know one of the things in which it's generally thought of as as actors are are um are I don't know, flighty and and not responsible and what have you None of the actors that I work with or know as friends are that way at all. Yeah. All of us went through the exact same thing. And that is, hey, there's a party tonight. Are you going to come? I can't. I, I have to learn my lines. Yeah. I, I have to learn my lines. I Tomorrow, I, I have the potential of being, of embarrassing myself unless I've done the work. I have to do the work. And I have to be on time and I have to, you know, uh, I have to succeed and, you know, on and on and on. But that's only when you know what you want to do. Yeah. You know, and um, um, did you, so you read a lot. Yeah, I read and a you, lot. I read a lot because you, I, couldn't, I couldn't speak. Right. I had trouble, I guess, very much like dyslexia, you would see words in a jumble. Is that right? Yeah. It was very much well, the same with, with, with my speech growing up. It was sort of more of a jumble when I tried to talk grow, when I was young, probably around 10 to 12. And then did it open up? Yeah, it, it, it opened up, yeah. It sort of, it got, it got better over time, but I was very stubborn as a kid. I got very um, frustrated that, again, I was sort of um, put out while everyone else was having fun, but... It, it helped a great deal to where I am now because I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> I, I don't, I never would have assumed that part of my job now is to speak to people. So right. I've come a, long, a lot long, a lot, I've come a lot further than um, a lot of the school teachers said I would, would have come. Right. Yeah. Right. John, there's sometimes I tell Dan that as well, that sometimes you're some, sort of telling yourself a story that, you yeah. know, it's time for you to detach from it. Um, of course, we're very young and, you know, you're at the other other side of the spectrum. Um, how it, do you have like an internal story 
that you tell yourself was as you said there's some like people who don't know what they're doing they don't have an internal agenda how do you keep updating that agenda as a person you are right now well that's feels like a bunch of questions a bunch of questions so you're asking me literally how i update my agenda or well i think about this all the time mm. i i analyze what am i doing and is what i'm doing you know helping me helping my family helping helping the people you know i, I guess i guess here, here's one whose fantasy is being served um i when i used to teach i used to say to kids who i kind of got the impression that they were doing this for other reasons i would say to them wait you need to ask yourself whose fantasy is being served here is this because your mom wants you to do this is this you know um so and and oftentimes just in conversations and, you know, we want you to do this and this, and, and I would analyze things just in terms of whose fantasy. And if you're going to be analyzing it in terms of that, then you need to know what your fantasy is. <laughs> because otherwise it's very easy to, to become shackled to somebody else's fantasy. You're just a dead fish flowing in the water. How so? Where where did the fantasy of traveling by yourself and voyaging through the sea came through? Oh, it came. Um, uh, it, it came from all of the that that first book that I read, uh, and the fascination that I had with with exploration. I mean, I, I still I, I I listen to podcasts all the time. They are for the most part history. Uh, the Ancients um, uh, is, is a very good one. Um, uh, in Our Time is a very good one. And I just love, uh, 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 watch, uh, uh, let me finish my sentence. I just love putting myself in, in that world. Uh, um, and to I just loved the, the notion of, you know, I, I looked at it from the Western point of view because, you know, that's where the, where at least, well, there was one point of, of exploration. That was a major point of exploration as, as we discovered the new world and then, the, then the, a bigger world and what have you. The Chinese had an enormous point of exploration. The Polynesians had an enormous um, point of exploration. So I, I just love all of that. I, I just love all of it. And I, I kind of live a, a, um, a, an imaginative life in there. Were you scared when you started to embark on the journey? Which journey are you talking about? Uh, when you traveled to the sea um, by yourself. Uh, well, you mean when i sailed to the south pacific yeah that's 52 uh, with, days yes. voyage yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i was not by myself 
I I actually had two friends, um, uh, both of which were my son's friends, mm. who um, who came with me. Um, I, I my boat was next to a guy who did it alone. It, a very interesting story, but out of sort of despair and totally as a default. He and his wife were going to go. His wife two weeks before they were going to go, left him for another guy and here his his great fantasy. And he decided I, I'm going to go and he went around the world. Um, but it was a tough, tough thing. And it wasn't something I didn't have that fantasy, mm. um, nor did I have the fantasy of actually arriving. It's interesting. Oh. My fantasy had everything to do with being out there. Uh, you know, you can fly to Tahiti now. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not hard to get to Tahiti. But the, the same ocean, to, to travel that ocean, I'd like to think of as being this, the same waters. Those are the same waters that Captain Cook traveled. And that's where I... I loved it. And when I came back, I was with a young man who had never sailed before, my, my very close friend of my younger son. And I said to him, no, 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 I'll, I'll show you how to sail and what have you. And the two of us sailed coming back, and that was 52 days. And uh, it was six, six hours on, six hours off. And, uh, you know, in that in-between time, the, you know, the other person was, was sleeping. So we, we connected a little bit at around five o'clock with a little something to eat and talking about where we were and what have you. But the rest of the time, you're just, you know, like it's the, the idea of being able to see the Big Dipper and the Southern Cross at the same time, the, you know, to all of a sudden see something on the horizon far away and go, my God, it's so, what is that? What could that possibly be? It's so massive that the, the, the whole, you know, it, <laughs> I, I don't know what I was thinking then to see that it was the moon yeah. coming up that completely took over the, the, everything that you could see. It just, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I'm thinking of doing it again, but, you know, my window is closing. Do you, do you realize how insignificant you are when you are out on those journeys? Well, you do realize how vulnerable you are. Yeah. And you better be thinking at all times. Mm. Uh, and uh, one of the things in which I've always liked about sailing is that it gets you out of your head. Um, you know, my head is not necessarily the, the best place to be all the time. Takes <laughs> so, you away from all the noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah my own noise. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, just, you know, well, ooh, there's this. So what would I do if that were to happen? So there's that scenario, and then that scenario, and then that, and then that, and then like that. And you're always running these scenarios so that you're never caught kind of like, whoa, gee, what's going on, you know? Yeah. Did you, did you have any treacherous days out there? We, on the way back, we had a couple, for me, um, difficult days. Uh, mostly having to do with equipment failure. Um, but uh, one particular night that I will not forget, which is just being about, I don't know, about 2,000 miles, about 1,000 miles uh, north of 
Hawaii and uh, about uh, 2,000 miles off the coast of California, and it was really blowing. And we had to park the boat for a little while, for about 36 hours to figure out how to fix something before moving on. And you're just out there and no one is coming to get you and there is no help. And I learned some stuff there. And that is, is that panic, which is something that actors deal with. You can feel it, you know, that opening night of a show or something like that. You can feel the panic. You have to keep it down. You have to keep it down. And in this case, there was a little bit of that, but also there was the need to celebrate every positive thing, as tiny as it may be, because if you start connecting, oh my God, that's not working, and then this is not working, and this is not working, before you know it, you are getting like, like that, and you have to control that. So... We, there was a, there was a thing, our, we couldn't get the drill to work and we had to, we had to get a pin out of an old, out of an old piece of stainless steel. And, and finally, all we could do was to sit in the cockpit and with some vice grips, get a bit and a little bit of oil and just do it, do it by hand. It took us hours to do it by hand and instead of what would be normally the case you finish it was and you go oh good okay this went out it was like no no wow we did it isn't that great oh like that and it just has the effect of calming things down so i i learned that and i have taken that since then uh, to heart you know one you recommend sailing oh sorry go yeah, just one problem at a time. One, you know, one. Just don't don't ball everything together. Would you recommend um, sailing for everyone? Of course, of course. I I've always sailed. I mean, listen, you are in one of the great sailing nations of the world. So it's a you know there are people who are far far more experienced than I am in in in. Um, uh, in waters that are by and large more treacherous. I, I while I sail the Pacific, I, I'm sort of on the milk run. Um, you know, that, that run from uh, California to, through the Marchese's and the Tuamotos that, and then back is, is sort of a milk run. It's not, it's not quite at the, the level that you guys are at. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, I, just before we start wrapping this up, um, I want to dedicate the last part of about talking about religion, talking about God and what God means to you. Or just wanted to have the dedicate the last part about it. So, since you first questioned till this day, today, what have you learned about religion, about God, and Oh, this is again a bunch of questions. <laughs> and about other people responding to religion and God. What have you learned in that journey? Um, my biggest problem, and I don't think that you have this problem in uh, where you are, but we do, is that um, I don't really care what people think personally. 
makes mm. no difference. I work under the principle of nobody knows anything, including myself. We don't know. We just don't. Nobody's been on the other side of the mountain and come back. So please don't tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my biggest problem is when religions become politicized. Mm. Yeah. So um, the, the most um, egregious uh, and ongoing issue that we have is, is this endlessness about you know, religion versus science, and it all focuses down on evolution. And, you know, and then you get you hear stuff, which is, quite frankly, nonsensical. Uh, in, in 2023, about how the world was created in 4004 BC, October 23rd or whatever it is at 10 o'clock in the morning you know you know a bishop usher came up with this idea back in the 1600s uh when there was no other way to do it so he counted all the begats in the bible and came up with some something but we know better we just know better um if you want to say uh the big bang it was god did the big bang no, nobody's going to say no because nobody knows and you get to have god and your god and 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 everything's cool but when you say it was 4004 bc and that everybody in the school district needs to follow that and therefore we're going to pull out the biology science books and and put in some nonsense about intelligent design or or some creationist stuff then you really are um you're, you're you are out of your lane you're just out of your lane yeah. and, and you are affecting other people and um and then there's going to be pushback um what what is your ideal uh future for society I know it's a big question. Yeah, big, big question, but. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer. I mean, these are these are marvelous questions, but I'm not really skilled enough to be able to answer them. I, I do know this is that we're going through a political situation now, which is really unfortunate. And um, uh, we have very major problems not the least of which is global warming. We're burning up here right now. Yes. And yet what attracts the Republican Party and, its, and, and some of its people is, uh, is talking about, um, um, excuse me, I'm just, uh, is talking about who, you know, which bathroom people use, yeah, and um, all of this sort of cultural stuff, you know, you know, the woke or not woke, I don't even know what it means, except that woke is whatever the person doesn't like, <laughs> then all of a sudden that's woke. Oh, you know, all of a it's just all such nonsense, 
when there are real issues going on. And if we all just thought of ourselves on a boat, to use that metaphor, and the boat is taking water, and you're talking to somebody who's going, well, I I just want to know, you know, who used the toothpaste to cap the toothpaste cap, you know, like that. That's that's how I hear it. Yeah. I go, excuse me, (laughs) there's a lot more important stuff going on. Yeah. But... They, they don't they don't address these things because guess what they're they're difficult and they're not sexy and they're not you know they're not gossipy and they're not you know all the things that are sort of attractive for a a very um uh um a, for a mind that that can't really stay on one subject for very long and so uh so um, my my feeling is is that we are going off the cliff uh, on some instances. Uh, I can't tell you how how disillusioned I was during our problems uh, with the with the COVID pandemic. Look, everybody's sick. Put on a mask. What are you talking about? Your freedom? I don't doesn't keep my freedom from doing anything. I don't want to give my COVID to you and I don't want to get your COVID. Just put on a mask. End of the story. Just end of the story. Keep moving. Keep moving. And so I just found all of that stuff to be, you know, and then everybody has an opinion and it just goes on and on and on. So I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not very optimistic right now. It feels like Gene Roddenberry's version of the future keeps getting further and further away. Well, you know, it, it does because, and who gets in the way, but we get in our own way, you know? I mean, his, his vision of a future was at its core um, really, there's a fundamental core there, a hope for a better future. You know, uh, but you've you've got to do the work. Yeah, yeah, put in the work. John, Man. this has been so much fun. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Um, thank you so much for your time, and good luck on the uh, picket lines. And I hope nothing but positive outcomes for both the writers and the actors. It may well, take thank a while, you. but. Yeah. And I have to say, I've done a, you know, a fair amount of podcasts, but the, your questions were really caught me by surprise, and I'm delighted. Oh, so good. Thank you. Thank you. That's John, what we like to hear. One last question. What was your motivation to do this podcast? Why did you do it? <laughs> I, I guess because you kept on asking. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and I... I'm really glad you did. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to be with us today. Not at all. My pleasure. 